Folks, welcome to a new episode of the Crowd Assist Podcast pre- presented by Trainwreck Sports. When I'm stumbling right out of the gate, you know we're in for a good show, everybody. <laughs> As always, uh, we are sponsored by Picasso's Pizza, and I told you all this last week. I moved to Long Island about a year ago, a little more so, uh, and I don't care what my girlfriend says. I don't care what her family says. They live here. I don't care what John Boyd told me when I was in a Brooklyn pizza joint last November and I ran into him. Buffalo Pizza's where it's at. I don't care what anyone says, okay? And when I think of Buffalo Pizza, I think of Picasso's. They're open for takeout and delivery, and I've said this before, they actually deliver nationwide. So I have no excuse to get the, the flimsy, this crust pizza that I scarfed down right before the show. So, you know, make them a part of your game day traditions now and support local businesses, because this is the time to do so more than ever. This episode of The Cap, just like last week, joined by Kevin Masari. Kevin, how's it going today, man? Living the dream, man. How are you today? Same here, same here, man. A little stuffy in the basement, but you know, that's all I got to complain about. It's a good day. Yeah, Uh, that's right. (laughs) And for an exclusive look into what's been going on at Bill's training camp, I'm very happy to welcome great friend of Trainwreck, great friend of the show, and future recurring guest, Matt Perino. He's the Bill's Beat reporter for New York Upstate. Matt, I know you've had a busy morning, definitely a lot of unexpected happening today, so I appreciate you taking the time. Anytime, man. I'm glad to join the new look crowd assist podcast. Very <laughs> excited to be joining the two of you gentlemen. Uh, I love the new look. I love the new show. I'm obviously a big train wreck sports mark out here in these streets. So uh, it's, uh, it's good to join the show. Talk about bills. Oh yeah, man. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. I know we've been looking forward to it for a couple of weeks now, so we'll just dive right in. Um, you know, obviously elephant in the room today, a lot of false positives happening coming from like the coronavirus testing at one bills drive. And it also happened around the league. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some stuff to be sorted out there, but from a bill's perspective, um, obviously we know Josh Allen wasn't at practice today. Um, who else notable was missing and what's kind of their return, their, their path back to practicing with the team soon. Well, it's good news for the for Bills fans is Adam Schefter reported, I think about an hour ago, that mm-hmm. Josh Allen was one of, per his sources, was one of the the guys that popped, and they expect him to be back at practice tomorrow. And Brandon Bean said, you know, everybody that did have a false positive today tested when they got to the facility, and they all were negative. So if they then test negative again, have a second test, that's when they're freed up to return to practice. So I think the best thing to come out of this thing is that it's happening in uh, middle of August here as opposed to early September uh, or later when this could impact a game week and a game day. I mean, if you find this out on a Friday, you know, can a guy get back in time for a game on a Sunday morning or however they end up, you know, sparsing out the schedule if college football is not being played, et cetera. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. I think this gives them a more specific example of how to prepare for it now and put better protocols in place. Uh, Brandon Bean said they were talking to Dr. David Sills, who, yeah, um, yeah. or Alan Sills, his son, David Sills. Playing <laughs> with the Bills. Um, yeah. They were talking to him this morning about like the, just the whole process and you know how everybody's learning about this. And it's, it's just, long story short, it's better that this is happening now. Yeah, definitely. Like at least get a plan in place. And, you know, from what we've heard, it's no secret that the bills are, you know, leading the way in terms of coronavirus protocol and everything. Uh, so, you know, I, I feel like they can come back from you know something like this. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of questions we have about, you know, training camp in general, a lot of intense battles going on. So Kevin and I'll kind of just go back and forth asking you about, you know, different people that we're interested in. And uh, Kevin, I'll let you go first here. 
Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I th- the hottest topic around Bills Nation everywhere is the re- this receiver battle. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it on paper, it's strong. You know, they're, they have their starting three. You can consider Andre Roberts a lock based on special teams comments and other uh, comments that we've heard. But the depth behind that top three, how do you see it playing out, Matt? I mean, it's it's talked about across all day, every day. You know, so we're trying to narrow it down. But more specifically, do you think Bean does one of his special compensation pick trades where he tries to get back a comp pick uh, instead of playing the f- formula in free agency? He's going to trade one of these guys like he's alluded to many times. You think Robert Foster could could fetch a sixth or seventh round pick? I think Duke Williams gets traded. What What's your take on how that happens, especially with people saying, you know, how good Gabe Davis has been? Isaiah Hodgins is there. Um, I would think they have a leg up. But what's what's kind of your take on that as it pertains to maybe trading one of those guys for an asset? You know, in this uncertain season, uh, I'm I'm hesitant to say that anybody fits that mold because I'm wondering if, you know, you look at how they've structured camp, and I almost feel like they've been a little bit of a trend center, the Bills, in that how they've restricted the media from reporting a training camp as opposed to years past. You've seen other teams kind of adopt similar uh, things after the fact. Uh, but I think the idea there is because it's a year without fans and because you can control more of the variables, it allows them to maybe hide some guys a little bit more. So we, you know, you'll hear the usual stuff, you know, Duke Williams making Duke Williams plays in practice. I mean, I am, I'm telling you, man, every time you watch this guy in a practice field, you, you think he's Michael Irving. I mean, he's just so unbelievably competitive at the catch point physical, hard to cover because even when guys are in position, I still feel like he outbattles them. When, when it, I, if he could translate that to a game day situation, it's crazy to think about what he could potentially be. But here's the thing. I went into this thing saying that the four you just mentioned were locks. I had Gabe Davis as a lock before this all started. He is a mega super lock at this point. This guy is at times the best football player in the field. Today he made a nice play. Stephon Diggs was still Stefan Diggs. Right. And, you know, it, yeah. I, I use that term loosely because whenever Stefan Diggs is on the field, he's the best receiver there. Um, but most of the time, Gabe Davis is so far and ahead uh, from where I think everybody thought he was going to be at this point. And Matt Barkley alluded to it in his press conference today. He was yeah, working with him out in California. He basically said that, you know, by the time their, their workout stopped, he had a foundational fundamental understanding of where he's supposed to line up on every formation in their playbook. That's a huge thing for a rookie to go in with that comfort level at the start of things. So I think that Isaiah Hodgins has been good. He hasn't been as splashy as Gabe Davis, but he to me has kind of entered that lock conversation because he brings something that no one else does because what he, what Duke Williams does well at the catch point, Isaiah Hodgins can do that as well. And plus I think he's faster, quicker, a better athlete, more elusive in his route running. And that's a big deal. And that's what they want. And if he's going to line up in the slot, which, you know, when they drafted him, that's what Brandon Bean said was a a, a big reason why uh, a big body on, on the inside, you know, he fits a role there. And then it becomes the, the question becomes, can they fit seven guys on this roster? Do they want to fit seven guys? Because in this environment, if one of those receivers goes down, that's a big role that you have to replace. And I think Isaiah McKenzie, somebody that I feel so bad, I mentioned it on my podcast this afternoon, I haven't written about him yet, but I should be. He's playing so well. Like I just, I, I haven't been able to fit him in uh, as I'm yeah. you know, covering the rookies and all these new players. But Isaiah McKenzie looks as good as anybody else out there. He looks fast. He looks healthy. He looks stronger. And, you know, he made one play over the middle today where he was just so 
explosive and quick. And that's what they have. They have a bunch of guys that are explosive and quick. And that's, that's a dangerous thing and a, and a cool thing for Josh Allen as he tries to take the next step in year three. That sounds a lot like what you, how you would describe the Chiefs receivers. It's just a bunch of explosive and quick guys who can kind of do it all. Um, and if, if Duke Williams, he doesn't strike me as like a, a practice squad kind of guy. Cause he's like, you know, what is he? 29, 28, he's up there in age. So like, you know, if he's on the outside looking in right now, what's his future look like to you? Um, I still think, um, it depends. Like if mm-hmm. there's a fa- if, if there's, if some, a GM around the league is a fan, I, I could see a situation where, um, he just turned 27 by the way, oh, okay, um, gotcha. in May, gotcha. I, I think that, you know, he could definitely be in play. Oh, I got to take a time out. There's my daughter. Hi, honey. What's the matter? You just wake up? All right, go see mommy. She's upstairs. <laughs> um, that's that's COVID nineteen related. We're working in the uh, in, in the house these days. Oh, so yeah, I just woke up too. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Duke could get signed if they cut him. But I think that that's a chance that you have to take. Now, if you could turn him into a fourth, fifth round pick, of course. But I think that they would rather try to stash him if they could so they have an option of a guy that they know already played meaningful snaps for them last season so you know that's where i'm falling on him less movement this year then you would say because how can you you know with all the testing and the ramp ups and not being able to see preseason games not having that that pro personnel footage so you would say that you would think you'd have a better chance at keeping your 16 guys on the practice squad than you would in normal years is that right Yes, and we'll see where things stand when we get there. They're already kind of um, adjusting the, the rules and the, um, the protocol for how you can bring guys into your facility. It was very, very yeah. hard to do so at the beginning, and it's kind of getting easier as we go along. But even that process of, you know, if you get to, you know, a week before the season and every, all these players, that, like, do you, do you have the, the, the manpower in your building to not only onboard somebody, but then to get them ready to play on your 53-man yeah. roster. That's going to be very interesting uh, how teams navigate that around the league. For sure. And, you know, one other thing that might kind of play into that is like just draft picks in general the next year, maybe next couple years, just because we're not going to have a real season to evaluate, are just going to be worth so much less. Like you can make a point that, you know, if there's anyone that can evaluate late-round talent, you know, Bina McDermott have done that relatively well but you know a fourth round pick from like this coming draft in 2021 will probably be worth what like a seventh round pick was last year so you know I understand hesitant to to, you know trade people for picks um and kind of going off this whole receiver thing because a lot of people are are hesitant to want Andre Roberts on the roster they don't want a dedicated like punt returner kick returner but Taiwan Jones got hurt today if I'm not mistaken and so uh you know I know we'll probably hear the injury news in the middle of recording here I think that comes out at 4 p.m um but you know what what impact could Taiwan Jones have on Andre Roberts and what would your case kind of be to the person who doesn't want Andre Roberts on the roster Mm -hmm. So I think that they're not really – one doesn't impact the other. What Taiwan okay. Jones does doesn't really impact what Andre Roberts does because, you know, he can, he can return punts. I mean, he's not going to be a high-level kick returner. And that's something that from all parties involved, whether it be Heath Farwell or Sean McDermott, they want somebody that can influence the game from that spot, whether it be on kick returns or punt returns. You know, um, guys that – you know, good elite um, – 
kick returners, punt returners that can give you field possession. I mean, they come at a premium in this league, and they have that in Andre Alves. He didn't break one last year, but he Farlow said he's gone back and looked at the tape. They've added guys that they think are going to help him maybe potentially break one. They still think that he's a feared weapon uh, in this league. So I think that he's a lock just because they know that not only can they count on him to give them, you know, at least decent starting field position, but he's going to hang on to the football. The, the argument for Isaiah McKenzie there, I think, falls a little bit short because he struggled in that department when he's been giving those, those opportunities. Taiwan, um, if Taiwan's hurt and out for a while, I think that that opens up a potential spot for maybe a Robert Foster if you're in that camp where, you know, he got a lot of gunner reps last year. And if that's, you know, again, we can't report on what we're seeing in practice right now, who's getting those reps. Um, and, and it's still, it's, it's not like we're going to see in a regular season, but um, I think that it's, it's a very, very uphill climb for Robert Foster to make this team, but that might give him a glimmer of hope, but we got to wait and see what this. Now involves. Farwell when interviewed said that he thinks they have the best gunner combo in the league. Right. Um, so you would think that Robert Foster in this case would be insurance to one of them getting hurt. Um, you know, obviously we've seen one get hurt already. So I think that that would be a way onto the roster for Foster at that point, not as much as a seventh receiver. He can obviously do that. Um, but it would be purely as gunner one, because just by nature of what Farwell has said in his own press conferences, saying he's got the best gunners in the league with Neil and Jones, and then going into, um, basically being a natural fitter is where they really spent all last year tr training him to be. So, you would have to look at Foster as his way onto the roster being special teams. And I think he has the heads up over anyone else down there, right? As really being based on what we've seen last year as the main replacement in special teams. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Again, one of those things I can't really comment on because I can't really say what I've seen from, right. that, from, from that perspective. Right, but, you know... We're hamstrung here. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find a cool transition. There's, there isn't one. Can't say. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll switch. We'll, we'll switch topics. I mean, we'll go to another interesting conversation point, and that's the running back room. Um, and that's, I think, one of the most interesting things not talked about a lot. Um, I mean, it is at the top with, you know, how many carries Moss is getting and whatnot or what he's doing and how people expect to see him in the lineup. But more importantly, what's going on? you know, are they going to keep four running backs? I mean, we haven't heard too much in Christian Wade at this point. I mean, they're only five in camp, which is low to me. Usually have that Antonio Williams guy who's going to scrape up all those, you know, fourth preseason game carries, maybe make practice squad. I mean, the, the, the weird caveat with Wade is if he's placed on the practice squad, you know, he cannot be called up if he has that exemption spot. So do you see a path to the roster with a Jones injury for him? Do you see anything that I mean is Yeldon pretty locked in as the guy they trust like any movement I mean it just seems awfully low talked about beside obviously the starters it it, it there's really and and that goes to say Bean was it Bean today said that he expects Singletary to be his number one back mm -hmm. um you know per se starter per se is I think how he put it what's going on behind him to the best of your ability like obviously it looks pretty locked in but does that mean there's nothing even with that injury no room to wait I'll just say this. I can't say anything about like Christian Wade in terms of where he's going, where he's right. playing, but you just look at it from, you know, a 10,000 foot view. And just, if you're the bills and you have a team ready to compete, right. do you really think that you're not going to take advantage of a situation where you could protect a guy for another year on your practice squad who, you know, even if he's ready for basic like responsibilities is still, uh, 
you're taking a chance by rostering him. We, you're not going to get to see him in a live game in, in training camp in, in the preseason. There are none. So you're, you'd kind of be flying blind. The last time we saw him play was a year ago, and I know that he was all the rage in training camp. And I love this dude, man. His story is so fun. Like, I, I want so much for him. And I don't root for the team anymore, but I, I root for a guy like Christian Wade because you see the work that he's putting in. You get a chance to be around him. You get to know about, you know, who he is. And it's a great story. I just think that they, they brought in veterans. They, they have their two backs right now in Singletary and Moss. And I think bringing in a guy like Wade who, you know, even going back to last season, I won't even talk about this year. He, he worked a lot on special teams last year. So I think he's working on that because he knows that that's probably going to be his path to a roster spot. So I guess never say never. I just think that for a guy that just started learning football 18 months ago, it's a, it's a, it's a big ask in a, in a regime that literally hangs its hat on earning everything that you get. And I just don't know how he can earn it without games. Yeah, I thought maybe one way onto the roster, like you mentioned, would be special teams and would be with that Jones injury potentially happening and or an injury to Yeldon, who I haven't seen talked about much, you know, in general. Uh, I think he's just kind of that vet presence. He doesn't really have that competition. There's not another vet in camp, really, that he's competing with. Is there anything you can say on Yeldon um, that you've seen just in general? Same old, same old. Every time he's on the field, he gives them what, you know, I think that we've seen him give them over the last year since they signed him and what they talked about this offseason and what they like about him. He's a steady presence in the room. He's somebody that, you know, shows up every day, does, goes where they want him to go, does what they want him to do. Um, so I think that that plays with them. And so I think that he's in the mix. Um, I see him being potentially on the 53-man roster and then not being active on game days a lot okay. like last year. Um, but he'll be there. Listen, Singletary missed a few games last year. Zach Moss, you know, has a, a history with injuries. I think that's a big reason why he fell into the third round in the draft. And some of these other guys went above him because from a talent perspective, it's easy to go back and watch his tape and then also watch him on the practice field now and, and kind of pair those two things together and really understand what the Bills like about him. He's, he's a really good, like sometimes you watch rookie running backs and you just, you see the, um, I don't want to say the hesitation, but just like they're not trusting their eyes yet. And just in this training camp setting, when they're going full speed, you know, there's no issue there. I mean, there's a lot of trust in what he sees and what he's very deliberate. I think it was what Matt Barkley said today. He's a deliberate downhill, powerful running back. And, and so I think that where do, where do carries get split here? I still think that like Brent Bean mentioned, they're going to go with Singletary. And I don't think that he did anything in those final eight weeks last year to make you not think that they right. don't want him there. And I just think that Zach Moss can be that supplemental piece until you need him to be more. And that could come in week one, week four, week 10, not this season. It could come anytime, but they have two options and it'll be interesting to see how they play that up. Because I think with Zach Moss, maybe potentially be more um, efficient in the, in the, in the role that Frank Gore closed the season with last year, that can mean a lot for uh, you know, a better offense and not only that, but you move the ball, you convert in the red zone, you know, that could impact yep. scoring too. And another rookie kind of on a similar note is Reggie Gilliam. Um, I've heard a lot of good things. I've heard that he's Max had star really, baby. <laughs> heard he's had a lot of really good, you know, good plays throughout training camp, but you know, obviously they like to have that veteran person in every room with Pat yep. DeMarco. So like, you know, what, what future do you see for Gilliam? Because that's, he sounds like a guy that if we had preseason games that, 
a lot of people. He might be like, you know, the, the Brandon Riley of the group. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think Patrick DeMarco has got a real fight on his hands for this, for this job, because, you know, I, I know they love his leadership, but there's so much leadership in that locker room now. Yeah. I mean, you look on both sides of the ball and we're talking about young leadership now that, that'll be able to take the baton from guys that have left the building. I mean, you look on the defensive side as an example, and, you know, Lorenzo Alexander leaves, and it's already, you could tell, without a doubt, Harrison Phillips has assumed a portion of that leadership role, a guy in just his third season. I mean, he's in, he's in practice at the beginning of the training camp. He said they were OTA-style practices, but they're happening in July because of the, you know, COVID situation. And he's like, guys, we're having mental errors here, and it's understandable because it feels like OTAs, but it's not. But we got to get it. We got a game in a month and a half or a month or whatever it was. And so you see that kind of playing out in some of these guys. So I think DeMarco, that becomes less important as your locker room grows and you build, you know, the kind of roster that Brandon's built and Sean's built. So I think Gilliam's really talented. I think that for a quarterback who likes to throw downfield to a fullback, it might be a little <laughs> better to have a guy like Gilliam on the other end of it. Um, but I also, he's just a, a physical presence. I, mean, I think he's really popped as a blocker this week. And so, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, it's, it's a good battle. We'll see how it goes. I'm still very interested to see which way they go because, again, without the preseason games, you really can't you – could get the, you could get the feel in a scrimmage-like environment, but I just still don't think it's the same. Yeah, Bummer, definitely. we didn't get four preseason games. I, um, I mean, I, I mean, I never, I never thought that was possible. Even one would have been so big for this team. I never thought I would miss them like this yeah. because yeah. of the roster that we have to cover here. Because there's so many intriguing battles, and in this environment, we can't really talk about what we're seeing. Exactly. If we all got the preseason games, we kind of could have had that collective conversation. So, it's tough. Yeah, and it's it's not just to see Josh Allen. It would be to see if like guys we're talking about here, um, and that's that's what we're lacking. And I know I've watched Gilliam in MAC play. I've been covered him um, course, yeah. while covering UB, and he's just a special teams wizard. Blocked kicks. I mean, runs fullback flies. You know, Josh one of Josh Allen's favorite plays. They called on Patrick Demarco last year, so it's interesting. He is their exact fullback that they might hand make. So we'll have to watch that as the um, the preseason you know, continues to go on. But linebackers is a huge room to me because you have Matt Milano and you have a lot of things going on there. You know, he needs a contract at some point. And was he going to get it? I think so. Um, but you, you go down, what's behind them though? If we have an injury there, um, you have a couple of names, Roshan Joseph. Is there any guys that in your opinion, Matt, are standing out um, that will make the roster? I mean, there's just, I've just seen nothing at that group. Obviously the starters are pretty transparent, but I mean, just behind them in general, um, is there plays that you've seen being made? Is there guys that um, look like they can, can, can fill in if one of those guys gets hurt or goes on the COVID list? Anything you've seen behind that linebacker group? Like, so if you're familiar with training camp practices and yep. like when they have the shells on, it's, it's really hard to evaluate the linebacker position because when they're not yep. live hitting, even today, it was a thud up practice. They had pads on, but it was, it was very like the physicality wasn't really there. So we could see the quickness and, but one guy I will mention, and he's somebody that I kept off my first initial 53 man roster projection, who, if I did it again today, I would put him on now. And that's, um, Tyrell Dotson. Okay. I, I love his versatility. I remember a conversation I had with Julian Stanford at the red and white uh, scrimmage game last year. It was, they were all coming off the field and I just wanted to grab him about, about Dotson because I, he popped to me that, that night. And I said, 
what's going on with this kid? Because nobody's talking about him and it seems like he's all over the place. And he was like, that's just the thing. He's all over the place. I've never seen a rookie come in and learn all three linebacker positions as completely as it seems like Tyrell Dotson has. So you t- then you start to like kind of throw it through you, you know, your brain a little bit and you know how much they love position flexibility. And in a year where you could be without a Tremaine Edmonds to an injury or a COVID or a Matt Milano uh, to an injury who's been, you know, missed chunks of time before to have a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything. And in a guy like Dotson, who it's going to come down to special teams too. Like who's mm-hmm. contributing the most on special teams, who's popping for Farwell. And that's something that even privy to the practices, I, you never know how those really, you know, uh, those competitions play out because Farwell could be looking for something completely different on his unit than you or I would as a fan or a, or a fan, a media member, whoever, but just like the untrained eye, if you will. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how that goes. I don't think Ryan, Ryan Talbot, who's my guy, we cover the team together. Mm-hmm. He made a great point on the show today. And he's like, I just don't think that we're at a stage where Vashawn Joseph would be that important to keep or that they'd be that worried about losing if you thought that Tyrell Dotson or Corey Thompson would give you that much more of a bang for your buck as that depth option in, in, in that backup role. And they've loved Thompson for a long time. Right. Um, and he's so, played I mean, meaningful snaps for them yeah. already. They got there. Yeah. Yep. You're keeping with the defense, obviously someone who, you know, under a normal year may have been traded possibly as Trent Murphy. Um, but given the shortened pre or shortened no preseason, shortened training camp and everything, you know, we can't exactly expect Epinesa to step into like, you know, a top three role in the defensive end rotation. Um, how, what does he look like and how do you see his future going here? Cause like you know, basically the question is like buy cut or trade for right. Trent Murphy. So this is a really nuanced discussion because like, I feel like depending on what day of the week I wake up, I have a different thought process on Trent Murphy. (laughs) And because it's such a weird year, like I think if this was entering last year, he would have been a lock, like even in in, with this roster, because we didn't have the COVID influencing the the salary cap, the financial concerns weren't that the cap was still really uh, advantageous for what they were doing and where they were at. But now, you know, cutting Trent Murphy now could be the difference in being able to re-sign Matt Milano. And so if you're in that position, to me, it's a no-brainer because – but here's, here's what it comes down to, too. I think there should be a day in training camp over the next couple of weeks where you say – you earmark that day and you say, we're going to sit down as a group, front office and coaching staff, and say, can we cut Daryl Johnson? If, if that answer to that is no, then that means Trent Murphy's gone. Because if you're not willing to lose Daryl Johnson, then I don't see how you could keep Trent Murphy. Finances, you know, be damned. I just don't think they're going to really be able to keep nine defensive linemen. Maybe they can, and maybe they're willing to do that with Trent Murphy. I just don't see it. So I think from that perspective, you move on from them and you say, first of all, I think A.J. Epinesa, for all intents and purposes, I know they took him in the second round. He's a first-round pick. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, I think most people had as the second or yeah. third best defensive end in this draft. So those expectations shouldn't be, you know, uh, couched at all. I think though he should still be expected to be a part of the rotation. You got guys like Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson, and, of course, Jerry Hughes to lead the way that can play, give you good, solid reps and snaps a lot of them on the outside but you, you have Daryl Johnson to supplement and then I think you need AJ Epinesa to assume a you know a role that a first round draft pick would, would assume and I think all indications from camp 
is he's ready to do that. Um, he's ready to kind of, and it's so cool because because of the talent they have around him, I think he's going to pop more than anybody's even expecting yeah. because he just fits what they want him to do. And he's so versatile that it's going to be tough for offensive coordinators to kind of track where he is. He's the most athletic, I think, of all of them because he's so big, which is then so crazy yeah, I know. because of how bad he was at the combine. But I just think his straight line speed, I was talking to Joe Biscaglia today and, and, we, and I was saying, you know, I think the problem with him is he's so big and brawny. Yep. It's almost impossible for him to run a fast 40. And so I think the Bills, a lot like Gabe Davis, where if you remember the embedded series when Brandon was like, I hope he runs this yeah. number. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the Bills were thrilled that he sunk at the combine because <laughs> everything on the practice field, I mean, he looks like the real deal. Yeah, he does. And he plays all the position versatility as we've used with a couple of players today. And he said it himself, he's played every single position on that line. I mean, he's just a, he's going to get a lot of time, especially if these injuries slash COVID situations like we saw today happen, um, you're going to see Epinesa across the line. So um, that's, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch and see how many that D line discussion is huge. How many they're willing to keep. And I keep hearing about Brian Cox jr. Yeah. He's balling um, too. So what do they do there? I don't know. There's, there's some decision, hard decisions to be made. Maybe that's a position group they will get a pick from somewhere along that if they had to make a move. So we'll have to follow that one as closely as a receiver. And kind of lastly, on my is offensive line. I know it's a tough one to talk about because who's getting first, who's getting seconds and thirds. Like, you know, we can't obviously dive into that as much, but all I can say is I saw winners get bullied by uh, Epinesa. <laughs> and that was the first time in my head that I said, huh, is he a lock to be the right guard spot? I, I don't know. What do you see, Matt, on your, in your opinion, not based on rep counts, in right. your opinion, is winners that lock at right tackle? Do, do we see more Daryl Williams than we think? Like what? No. What, what's the he's, way that works out? He's not a lock. And I, al- I also think that there's – the cool thing about what they're doing here is I don't think they have to need to arrive on right. a decision uh, because they're so willing to take 10 – into the regular season and the, the new rule it's almost benefits teams to be over I think it's is it eight offensive linemen or seven um, yeah. if you're over that number then you can bring two position players back uh, or you know skill position players onto the roster if you're if you don't have those linemen one of those guys of the 55 has to be lineman, uh, right? a lineman so yeah. but I think that um, I think that Daryl Williams is in the mix I think they're all in the mix all over the place and, and that's about as far as I can go with what I've seen, but I think that, you know, just hearing the fact that to me that they're still unwilling to commit to Cody Ford at tackle just tells me that they don't know. And we're going to get to the season and whatever the best combination that they've seen is what they're going to go with until it's not working. And they're going to change up on the fly. One guy who I think is still going to play a role or a factor, and I don't know where it's going to be, but maybe a potential, uh, another, um, you know, timeshare is Ty and Secchi. Yeah. I, I was talking to somebody at the combine. I told this to somebody recently. I'm, I, I always say this. I hate saying the same thing on two podcasts, but it's an important line. And I, so I feel like it's, it, it's worth hearing. He is a former offensive lineman in the NFL. And we were just, you know, having a drink, talking about the bills last year. And he spent a lot of time breaking down the bills offensive line. He was doing it for, um, you know, uh, his employer. And he told me one of the things that he saw was that, probably 60% of the time, 70% of the time that he was on the field, Ty Nsecki was the Bills' best offensive lineman last year. And that's crazy to think about because 
he doesn't play a lot. He's older. He's 35 now, and you've got the injury concerns. But you want that talent on the field if you're yep. Brandon Bean for your your third-year quarterback in Josh Allen. So I still think he's going to figure into the mix. I still think that, you know, what happens if Deion Dawkins goes down with an injury or has COVID? And, you know, Ty Inseki's best reps or snaps in Washington were at left tackle. So um, I'm very interested to see how this ends up playing out. They have a lot of interesting options. The Spencer Long thing to me is still crazy. I almost feel like <laughs> Brandon Bean has a sixth sense about he some does. of these he things. Does. You know he does. Yeah. You know he does. Because, I mean, he, he barely lasted in San Francisco before he retired. So, you know, know, if you don't have buy-in here, if you're not, re- if you're not ready yeah. to scratch, claw, and kill, you know, you're, they're not going to keep you on the roster. They've proven that. So, um, I, I think Winters has to prove that. I think he's hungry. But I, I question where he's at coming off that soldier injury. He said he's been good about four or five months. But once you get in, you know, as Brian Dable always likes to say, the live bullets start flying, it's a whole different game. Yeah, definitely is. Uh, and like many people during, right now, during these times right now, we are as a victim to the unpaid subscription to Zoom time clock. <laughs> so we only got about five minutes or so left. So, you know, we were going to pick the bills. We'll save that for another time. Maybe we can have you on before the season starts one more time so we can do that. Um, maybe just round this out with you giving two players, one your biggest riser during training camp and one player whose stock has really fallen over the last week. Wow. That's a great question. You should probably write a story on that. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming that's in the works. <laughs> um, so my biggest riser would have to be Zach Moss. Really? Just because we went into this thing pretty much thinking this was going to be, at some point this season, like some version of a timeshare. I mean, I was even open to 50-50 by Thanksgiving. Like, you know what I mean? I, I thought that could happen. Now – I think Devin Singletary is a starter, but this guy is going to get a workload. There's no doubt in my mind. And they, they complement each other so well. They both do so many things well. They both have a lot of flexibility in what they're able to do when they're in the field. And the key for me, and this is what really makes me buy in, is, and I'm actually working on a story on this for tomorrow, is Sean McDermott said that he's been very good, quote unquote, in his pass protection. That's huge for a rookie running Oh, back. yeah, true. So if they have confidence in him there, there's not a situation in a game that, where they're going to feel nervous about sending him out there. So I think he's the biggest riser right now. Um, but ask me again in a week, and it could be somebody else. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and then the last one. Uh, who's dipping? Who is dipping? That is a great question. I hate to, to use this because – of an injury, but I will say that I will say that because there's nobody that's really popped as somebody that's, you know what? No, I'll go with Jake Fromm. I'll go with Jake. Really? Fromm, who that's interesting. I think that it's, it's twofold. Number one, he hasn't done a lot of things wrong. It's just the lack of things that he's done right to me gotcha. so far. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for him, he's in a situation where he doesn't have a lot of time to make an impression. So there was one moment in 11 on 11 on Thursday where he popped for a minute. He made two nice completions. It was the Duke Williams uh, one, and one was the Gabe Davis, I think. And Gabe Davis, you could probably put him as the riser too. I I thought you were going to say him. I really did. (laughs) I just think because I still had expectations for Davis going in. That's true. Where I didn't really know what my expectations were for Moss, and he's just completely um, blown them away. Mm -hmm. But I just think for Fromm, it was such a – tough ask for him to make 
or to become that backup. And I'm still very hesitant to believe they'll go with three quarterbacks mm-hmm. because I think that they've shown the ability in years past. I mean, they brought in Matt Barkley off the street and threw him out as a starter and he beat the Jets <laughs> on the road. And so I think that they, they have – they, they believe in their coaching staff to be able to, like, whereas most teams around the league might be worried about something like that. If, they, if somebody signed Jake Fromm, and here's another thing. I also think there's going to be a situation where, you know, I don't know about Jake, but for Davis Webb, who's yeah. really comfortable in Buffalo, likes, is really close with Josh Allen, has really integrated well, and I think that Sean McDermott said, you know, he, he's going to be a coach in this league after he's done. He's really bright he might want to stay here and continue to kind of develop himself as a coach in this environment, you know, as he moves through it. So you might be able to stash him on your practice squad as a backup to Barkley. And so I just think that Jake Fromm, it's not so much for what he, what he's done wrong. It's just what he hasn't done. Right. And they wouldn't be worried about losing him. Yeah, no, definitely not. Uh, I hate to cut this short here, guys, but, you know, like I said, we're on a little bit of a time crunch here. Don't want to get cut off in the middle. So, Perino, thank you so much for joining. I know it was a little bit of a hassle to nail down a time, but I really look forward to it again. Uh, love, love Picasso's pizza. Love yes, yummy Thai. The <laughs> best Thai food in Western New York. Shout Get out there. to YT. Yes. Shout out to YT. Best Thai food around. Kevin, put me on to that. Thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> yep, thank you, man. Appreciate it. And make sure you guys check out the giveaway we're running on Twitter right now. We're giving away a signed Zach Moss jersey. That is Matt Perino's biggest riser for training camp. So you're definitely going to want that jersey. For me, Kevin, Matt Perino, and all of Chainwreck Sports, we'll see you next week. <laughs>